Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music. I was privileged enough to book amazing artists and bands in the past, and I was lucky enough to stay in touch with many of them to this day. This is a place to hear their stories. Thank you so much for riding along on this journey, and I hope you enjoy what you hear. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Hey guys, welcome to this latest episode. Uh, this is Jeremy, and uh, this is the Rumors Are True podcast. Today, I welcome, oh man, I'm so stoked, Sean Johnson from the band Morellis Forest. Uh, Morellis Forest was a band in the 90s that I was obsessed with, super into, uh, shoegaze, dream pop, whatever you want to call it. Incredible band uh, that started out on Tooth & Nail Records. And uh, was definitely paved the way for a lot of bands, um, all of the United States. Um, they definitely made their mark, and it shows with the latest uh, vinyl re-release of Super Deluxe by Lost in Ohio Music. What an awesome conversation. I'm really looking forward to uh, you guys hearing it. It's incredible. Talk about the band, talk about the tours, talk about the records. Thank you, John Johnson. Thank you, listener. I hope you enjoy this latest episode with Sean Johnson from Morella's Forest. Hey, Sean Johnson. So stoked to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Tell me, what are you doing nowadays? What What's going on in your life? <laughs> so I recently moved back to the Cincinnati area from Denver. I've been living in Denver for the past 14 years. And so my wife and I, our sons are now in their early 20s. So we decided to move back to just spend more time with our families who are aging. And um, and so we came back just to, to see them more. So it's been really cool. It's been very different being back in this area from Denver because Denver's a great city. Yes, absolutely. Um, but... Yeah, so that's what I'm up to now. I'm a social worker. I work for the Alzheimer's Association, 
Um, and yeah, that's what that, I'm doing. That's awesome. I, uh, I lived yeah. in Denver for about a year. It's a great town. Did you? Yeah, oh, I lived in the 90s. 90. I actually might have seen you guys out there now that I think about it. I don't know. Something makes me think I did. Maybe at the upper room or something like that. It's Yeah, it was quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, and I actually went to Cincinnati last year for the Jacksonville Jaguars game up there and my friends and I flew up there and it was, we had a, an absolute blast. It was I awesome. That cool town. I'm Super. a big Bengals fan. Yeah, man. It was, <laughs> and that was such a great year for them and it was just awesome. It was so, we'd never been there. We didn't know what to think. And we, we were like, when we got back, we were like, we have got to go back. It was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Sweet, man. Cool. Let's uh let's back up a little bit and uh, let's talk about you growing up and and kind of what uh, brought you on the musical journey that you went on and uh, tell me kind of how growing up was for you and maybe some musical influences and all that and and go go from there. Yeah. So my dog is flipping out. <laughs> she's here. <laughs> I don't know. She's fine usually until I have something important to. Do. Oh, of course. My dog's the same way. Yeah. So. Luna. <laughs> so I grew up in I grew up in the suburb of Dayton, um, Ohio. And <laughs> Luna. And so let me go on her. Folks, Sean so, putting the dog up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so home Luna <laughs> you. so um yeah so music oh lord it's okay man <clears throat> yeah so growing up um my sister actually was the one to buy vinyls i mean it was in the 70s so we were uh, we were listening to vinyl records and she got everything from cheap trick to michael jackson and um it was uh, <laughs> um she really got me excited lover boy was big at the time pink floyd yeah and it was just like um music became just this super cool thing to put on a vinyl record and just kind of sit on it and listen to it. And later on in my teens, oh man, I just became obsessed with music. And um, I had a vinyl player in my room and um, I would just sit in there and listen to, to records and just almost like, and I was thinking about this the other day, I would just sit there and just kind of like study the song, like, oh, okay, so this is where, you know, I didn't know anything about music. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the melody. Why do I like this melody? What do I like about this guitar riff? Things like that. And and then it just led into, a friend of mine was a musician and he was the same age as me. And I'm like, I would kill to be in a band. I just want to be in a band so bad. And um, he would call me and before cell phones and say, yeah, I had band practice tonight. And I was just so jealous of that. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to be in a band so bad, you know, <laughs> and 
I started and in high school, early high school, I started trading records with a, another kid and he gave me uh, U2 under a blood red sky and it just changed my life. Oh, literally. I, I was like, what is this? I was listening to English pop, you know, like Howard Jones and great things like that. And that just totally blew my mind. And I became just obsessed with U2 and the guitar playing especially and everything about it. And, um, and then ironically at my church, a guy offered guitar class instead of Sunday school class. That's awesome. And so I'm like, <laughs> I am signing up for that because I'm going to learn how to play guitar. <laughs> and what he did was there was five of us and he formed a band out of us and taught us the instruments, how to write songs. He was an incredible uh, guitarist himself, and he was in a band too. And he just kind of took us under his wing. We would, he would, you know, he really taught us about practicing a lot every day, as much as we can. And I, I just, oh man, the guitar, I just, I would come home from school and practice for an hour and then I'd take a break and I'd go back and I would just, pound it to learn the guitar and um and he taught us everything about guitar, uh, the instruments we played sean was actually mccorkle who was in morella's was in that class and he oh, wow. learned he learned bass and then we had a, another buddy of mine who i'm still really good friends with also um was the singer and we had a girl who was learning guitar and sang and we had a keyboardist in that class. So it was everybody. Um, and so that kind of started the journey of being in a band and we practiced once a week and write, started writing songs together. And so Sean and I, that's how we met. And that's how we became still friends, but that's how eventually Morella's formed was after a band called Righteous Anger we were in um we all kind of went to seattle and paul mumal who's a big time drummer oh, yeah, yeah i remember him he was in righteous anger with us okay and so he grew up where we grew up and um paul went on to play for like soul food 76 yeah. he played with jeremy enoch on his solo stuff pedro wow. i mean he played with just everybody Amazing. um he stayed there. Sean and I came back to Dayton and formed Morellis Forest. Very cool. Yeah. So. Um, so I know the name obviously was around beforehand. What, what made you decide on that? Was that something you were like, hey, we want to go with this name? Did you, were you aware of it having been used before? Or how, how did that happen? Yeah. So Righteous Anger got signed to Narrow Path Records. Okay which was a small label that put out breakfast with Amy. Yeah. Well, they were going to put out Morella's forest and I'm like, that is such a cool name. And yeah. I read about him and a, he would send out like a zine Remember when those yeah. were big. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So narrow path sent out a zine about their bands and described them. And I'm like, Oh man, they're like the cure and Depeche mode. I would <laughs> love them. Yes. And, and I and Righteous Anchor ended up break. Well, we never did do a record, um, and so that name always stuck with me. 
so that's why we were we never thought in a million years we would cross cross paths you know cross paths with them i didn't know who they were we just knew the name um so that's why we're like let's use this name um so <laughs> we crossed paths with them. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Was it awkward? Was it cool? I mean, were they like, cool, whatever? Sean says, so we, before we got signed to Tooth, we had opened up for, I think it was Joy Electric or Dance House Children and Mortal. Yeah. On a couple shows. And Sean swears that Ronnie was giving him the stink eye about it or something. <laughs> I don't know. Ronnie was cool. I think he Ronnie's kind of like off the cuff. He's he kind of acts, you know, not arrogant, but just like, what's up with you guys? You know, kind of just yeah. being funny and yeah. He probably did that and Sean may have taken it badly or something, <laughs> but they never I don't even think they care now that the record got re-released. That's yeah, weird, but yeah, yeah, cool for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, sweet. So, you guys, you know, you went to this class and started learning, and then you guys started to kind of start a band. Um, is that kind of how how did how did Morello's Force come together? Uh, I know you said you obviously knew Sean, but how did Nate coming into the fold? How did Sydney come into the fold? How did, how did that all happen? Yeah. So when we got back from Seattle, Sean and I are like, let's form a band. Because yeah. that's all we thought about. I mean, that's all, that was our lives. All of our friends were musicians. Everybody was in a band. And we really got into, you know, the noise, pop movement, oh, yeah. shoegaze. And so we were like, let's Let's form a band kind of around. But we were also like influenced by The Cure, Depeche sure. We were at New Order was a huge influence for us. Um, and so we had another friend named John Woolen Weber who wanted to learn bass. So he's like, I'm going to start learning bass. Um, we had numerous drummers before Nate. Um, they did not, the first drummer we had did not want to play bars. And we did. Um, and so we're like, that's just not going to work. And yeah. so then Nate said, well, I'll learn drums if I can be in the band. Wow. And so he, he worked his tail off, um, to learn how to play drums. And that's how, that's how that band formed. So we were, and then Sid, like the old school way, we put up a flyer at a record store called Dingleberries. <laughs> <laughs> and there was little, those little tabs you rip off, yeah. right? Yeah. And we said, if you like, I think it was like, if you like Cocteau Twins, Lush, Curve, you know, contact us, we're forming a band. Her ex-boyfriend worked at Dingleberries and he's like, I know someone who would be in that band, who would fits that so he got us connected she came over to my house i was still living with my parents she brought a demo and it was just exactly what we were looking for so and cool. so she, she um said yeah i'd love to do it and so so we were actually a five piece originally really 
Yeah, we had two guitars. Sean played guitar. He wanted to play guitar, and then um, after um, the band started kind of playing more, our bass player originally, John Woolenweber, could not play shows because he worked third shift. He couldn't play oh, shows on the weekends, and we said, "Look, we have to move on. We have this is what we want to do." And so he left the band and Sean went back to his original instrument of bass. Oh, cool. Cool. So, yeah. How, uh, how long did you guys play around before you recorded the, the bass demo? Well, we actually recorded a, an EP called Beaujure. Oh, that's right. That. That's right. Um, so we did that. Funny story about that. We tried to, we knew a friend who had all this gear. And so we called him and said, hey, we have a new band. We want you to record a demo, uh, an EP for us. And he goes, great. And he should, He drove like an hour. He lived an hour from us. Shows up at our at my parents' house because we had this whole basement area. that you, That's where we practiced. Sets up and, and we start playing the songs. And he's like, Nate's not ready for this. <laughs> you know, he started playing drums. <laughs> He's like, you guys can't do this. <clears throat> um, you need to really rehearse more. And, you know, Nate's got to get better. And so I think that really, <clears throat> sorry, got Nate even working harder. Motivated. Motivated, yeah, because... I even remember Nate saying that will never happen to me again. Um, and Nate's an incredible drummer. He really <clears throat> is. Um, and so the next time we recorded, I think he had us come to his house because he wasn't, he was afraid we were going <laughs> to see that again. <laughs> That's awesome. And we recorded that there. And, you know, that just started like the EPs. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. So after you did those EPs, how did uh, how did Tooth and Nail come into the equation? Did you send it out uh, press packets or whatever? Were you just kind of did they come out to see you? How, how did that whole thing unfold? Yeah, so I had a buddy. So Dayton is just Dayton's music scene, especially at that time, like early '90s, was just booming. I mean, there were so many bands. We were all, you know, playing with each other, opening up for each other. At, uh, Canal Street was the main place to play in Dayton. It was a bar that everyone played at. And so we just gigged there. Um, and um, we really didn't play churches from what I remember in the early days. Um, we just played bars. And um, so a buddy, uh, uh, he's still a big musician in Dayton. I'm like, how do you get signed? And he's like, he wasn't signed, you know, but he goes, but this is what you do. You send out, and this is just brilliant at the time. You send a demo of like a couple songs and you send a postcard that's already self-addressed with questions on the back. And it's like three questions. And I got every one of them back. Every label we sent it to, we sent it to all Christian labels. What labels were they? Um, Tooth and Nail, Rex, I think. 
three. Um, Metro One was a label around mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Um, what else? There was like five or six, but they yeah. all sent it back and actually filled out the back. Like, what did you like about this? What didn't you like about this? And um, would you like to hear more? All these things. That's and awesome. Brandon, Brandon was one. And um, oh, Flying Tart was one. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Flying Tart was probably the most interested at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we got interest. We, and Tooth and Nail. So we sent the demos to every zine we could think of, and they did reviews for us. And so that kind of got our name out there. And John Thompson from True Tunes yeah. was a big supporter of ours. That's awesome. And so he got us on a like new artist bill at Cornerstone. And um, we played other festivals before that, other Christian festivals in like Atlanta. And um, Fluffy was at one because I yeah. remember seeing them and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it's like Noise City, you know? Yeah. And, um, I'm like, that's awesome. So we had to talk to Colbert, and then Colbert kind of got involved. Um, And Brandon saw us at Cornerstone and hated us. He did not like us live. He said, you guys can't hear, which was our biggest. Sid was so hard to get out front, especially with the drums, Mm -hmm. um, pounding, you know. Oh, yeah, he, he used to beat the shit out of them. He did. He was beating those things. And the guitars were cranked. Everything was cranked, right? And Sid's just trying to get above the noise level. And um, he did not like us. And then Flying Tart wanted to sign us. And, And I forget what happened, but during that time of Flying Tart, that's when we did that Striper song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Colbert's like, I would love to do, you know, would do a record with you guys. I would love to do it. And we're like, that would be awesome. And um, and somehow Brandon got back involved. And he said, you know, I didn't like your live show. That can be fixed. Um, I want to sign you. So he sent us a contract. And that was, that's it. That's what happened. And so Colbert ended up doing the first record. Um Brandon set us down, sent us down there because Luxury did a record there, I think. Joe Christmas did their yeah. record there. Prayer Chain did Mercury yeah. there. And um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of how we got connected with Brandon. So. How did, um, when you guys came on the label, <laughs> were, how did you, were, were, obviously you were, I would assume stoked and like pumped, but like, (laughs) (laughs) like what was the vibe? Like, what were you guys, were you guys just like, we're going to, we're going to crush this. Or were you just like, Oh, we signed. Now we got to, now we got to make, make it work. Well, like Starflyer, when Starflyer came out on tooth, you know, we were a band already, you know, we were already playing as Morellas and Sean's like, you got to hear this. Somebody finally gets it in the Christian music scene. Right. So I listened to it, and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Uh, It's It's, unbelievable. Yeah, I'm like... To this day, it's an incredible record. It's awesome. (laughs) And it's like, 
okay, this is a label we would like to be on, you know, because if they're putting out Starflyer, um, and, oh, we were, I think we've been playing so much live. I mean, we were not arrogant at all. We, um, but we were like, we're ready, you know, for this. And we had been, I, I was listening to, um, bass, you know, that demo, and I don't know how we got signed from that. De it's horrible. <laughs> I think um, there's some glimmers of decency in it, but it, it's mostly, you know, Oceana was on there and Luscious Spring. Yeah. But it's like the rest of the songs are just garbage. And then when you hear Super Deluxe, so we were writing already, right? After bass came out, we'd still, we just kept writing songs. And that's the majority of Super Deluxe is is the songs we wrote in between. Um, and I think there's some, there's some really good songs on Super Absolutely. Deluxe. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Let's talk about that record. I, I mean, I, that, you know, obviously was most of our first introduction to you guys. So, you know, I, as a fan, I was floored. I loved it. I, I was like, I was a Starfire fan. I like, I liked anything Tooth and Nail put out, to be honest with you. But, yeah. you know, I definitely loved the Shoegaze. And, you know, that was, I gravitated to that quite a bit. And so hearing you guys, and it was just, it was incredible. It was like, you know, I don't know, there's something that like, as a Christian, you know, growing up in the church, it's like, what is this? This is so cool. Like, you yeah. know, so uh, let's talk about that record. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned Colbert did it. So let's, how was, how was the recording of, of that record? Did, did it go quick? Was everything written before you got in? Like, let's just go over some of that stuff. Yeah. So the whole, yeah, every, all the songs were written before we went in. It was done pretty fast. Um, I would say, two weeks at the most, maybe less. Um, and so what we did, and this was our first time recording with, you know, some professionals, right? Sure. We were recording with friends in Dayton and they would record, but you know, it's a whole nother level. And so Steve Hendelong helped produce it. He's great. And Colbert engineered it. Well, Hendelong was doing dates with the choir during our recording. So he would leave and come back. And, uh -huh. and um, so what we did was just, we went through every song that we had with Hend like live. We just played them live for them. And Hendelong's mind, you know, is going and he's thinking of his parts to do. And, yeah. and he's like, okay, let's change a few things here and there. And, and he said, let's start tracking. And then I think he left, he had to go do some dates. <clears throat> and so we just started tracking and it was just for a guitar player. It was just, they had every guitar you can think of in that studio. They had every amp you would can imagine every pedal you could imagine. And we just started, ex it was actually like an experimentation. Wow. You know, um, we would cut the rough tracks and then we would start filling in extra guitar parts and um, Colbert played on a couple of the cuts. Um, and it was just like, Hey, let's try this, you know, let's, and when I look back at that record, it was, 
Yeah, the guitars are like a bus all. <laughs> yeah, they really are. <laughs> Some of them. Um, and, you know, I never listened to our stuff. Hardly at all until they re-released that on vinyl. Yeah. And I started listening to it again. And I'm like, you know, this was, this was pretty unique. Yeah, it really was. Back in the day. Um, it doesn't sound, I mean, you can say, oh, there's some My Bloody Valentine. There's some Lush. There's Cocteau yeah. Twins influence. But none of it's like, oh, this is a ripoff. Of yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Um, and so when I go back and listen, I'm like, this was such a unique experiment for us it was kind of like a big experiment um and i i'm surprised kids like you know christian kids picked up on it even radio played like hang out and i'm like it was pretty really wow. kind of dirty you know yeah. that song is like yeah um, and i remember going to you know record or uh studios on tour and they would ask us questions about it and i was I don't know. Tooth, I think, changed the whole thing. That's why, because Tooth was putting out even harder stuff yeah. than us. And um, But the record, I thought, was just, it was kind of our baptism into recording yeah. and learning how to record and what to do. And after that record, my mind totally shifted, you know, yeah. on, on like, okay, we have to think of these parts and these extra parts. And, yeah. And so it just helped with yeah. that for when we were a band though that never wrote a lot of songs we yeah. barely we barely got by with enough songs to even record a record because we would ditch songs too early mm -hmm. um if it didn't gel we would just not work on it anymore yeah so it was really weird yeah what did you when you finally finished the record? What did you were you like, holy crap, this is amazing? Were you like super over the moon about it? Yeah, we were just shocked on just how well it turned out. Um, and we were just super. It's like this is what we wanted to do. This is the record we wanted to make at the time. You know, for what we were we were listening to and our influences it was just a perfect representation yeah um, and then we got to start touring right away that's all we wanted to do is record records and tour i yeah. mean that's all we wanted to do so we started touring right away and we toured when a lot of bands like a lot of the california bands and stuff didn't want to tour in the winter um but we did. We were like, we well, don't care if it's snowing. We'll go to show. We'll play whatever. Yeah. So we toured a lot. We toured a lot um, with bands and then by ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, What did Tooth and Nail think of, of the record when you gave it to them? Um, I don't. I don't remember what they. Uh, they really liked it. There was a guy there, a tooth, because it was young still. Um, mm -hmm. And his name was. Um, gosh, he was the coolest guy. Gosh, his name's blank. Anyways, he loved it. He's mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I love your record, and you know, and Brandon. It's like this is you know this turned out really well. I, if I remember, his name was James Morales. Yes. Yeah. 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 He started uh, like, Made in Mexico. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was super. He was a big. He was just a great guy. He was like yeah. our support. You know, he just he dug it, and and so I think they really liked it. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Um, did you at the time did did you like the reviews were good? Like how how did people receive the band? How do how do you feel like were you like you know how were you seeing shows getting bigger? Were you was it something that you noticed? Yeah, I think. Um, so back to like the zines, there were so many zines, right? And every yeah. one of them was reviewing it, and there was not a lot of seven ball came much later i think yeah which was kind of and um um but i thought the reviews overall were really good and that was the time where actually fans would write letters yeah and i actually had those until about six months ago i had a whole box full of fan letters wow um and we were getting letters like crazy um just people writing us sending us funny pictures they drew um asking us questions about the band um what we were like you know that was like kind of like interviews on a letter and um i wrote most of the people back um and just thanked them for writing us and so we got a lot of fan mail actually, which was pretty cool. That and is really cool. That's when we kind of knew, like, oh, people do like the record, you yeah. know, and um, and there's, you know, parts there. Well, and then the funny part is, I remember being at a show, and remember we did. So after Hangout came out on a single with, yeah, Art of Love cover and yeah, Till Tuesday. And she goes, oh, my gosh, your song, Voices, Carrie, is my favorite song you ever did. And I don't think she knew we didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, bummer, that's not our song. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah. So, um, you, you know, you're obviously touring. Things are going fairly well. The record just came out, all that how uh what, what kind of tours were you going on was it churches mainly or was it um you know like clubs like uh, kind of how was that whole thing going yeah so at the time which i don't even think exists as, exists anymore was there was this whole like christian under you know this yeah being back there was all these different little clubs everywhere i mean some were in churches but a lot weren't it was just kids like i want to book these shows and they would just rent a space and so somewhere in churches for sure um but then there was just these weird little places all over in texas I, everywhere i mean um and so what happened was and i think tooth was a big part of this is all the bands coming out is tooth and nail would so these booking agents, so our booking agent booked a lot of the tooth and nail bands. So they'd say, hey, I got these guys going out. Let's put them together. Yeah. And it was just kind of this tour all over the United States, right? Um, and so what was so awesome about that is like we could go to Texas, which was a big place for us. We had a lot of fans in Texas for some reason. 
and it was so neat to show up and actually somebody listened to your record and liked yeah. it. And well, I mean, you're like, this is awesome. I yeah. mean, you can't get that when you're just, especially at that time, there wasn't places to put your music, right? Yeah. And so it was just cool to go all over the United States and have people that show up to see you. Yeah. It was humbling and, and it just pushed us. It made us want to be better and wanted us to write more records. And it just, yeah, it was because of them doing that. That's awesome. Yeah. What's a, just out of curiosity, what's your, what's your favorite song on, on super deluxe? <sighs> favorite song. Um, I think it's Puppy Love is one of my favorites. And Oceana, I I like a lot. I like how that's recorded. I like how it's, it kind of moves through the song. Curl is a very cool song too, the last cut. Um, Puppy Love is kind of, I like because it's, the chorus is just, the distortion is just dirty. The bass line's (laughs) great. The lyrics are great. Yeah, I love the ending um, of it. It's just a cool song. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah, rad. So, how long after Super Deluxe and the touring's going on? How long did you start to plan on working out an ultra ultraphonic kiss? Like, how? What was kind of the time frame, and then what what led you to start recording that new record? So we toured, and um, so when we would come home, we would um still right and then brandon um he would always try to find like producers and he was always looking out for the best photographers and things like that he was really good at that yeah absolutely he said oh this hum record came remember hum that first love hum oh and he's like you guys need to record with the guy that recorded this record and uh I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, if you can do that, I'm, we're on yeah. board, right? Keith listened to all Super Deluxe and loved it and said, I want to record you guys. So actually, you know, Super Deluxe, I think, was recorded in like a week because Ultraphonic was recorded in two weeks. Oh, and okay. we felt that was long, you yeah. know? Um and so Keith, um, even Colbert, I think, came up during that recording and hung out at the studio because Keith had worked with like the Verve, Mercury Rev. Insane. Uh, just some bands that were super cool that we loved the Verve. And, yeah. And so, um, so we started working on that record and it was um, – so the funny thing about Morella's was um, Sid, we would write the music and Sid would write the melody and the lyrics. Well, we never heard the lyrics of the melodies till we got in the studio. Wow. And so we never knew how a song was going to be. It was like Christmas morning every time we would track everything initially and then Sid would, you know, start the vocal um, rough tracks. And so we would be sitting there like, what's it going to sound like? (laughs) (laughs) 
because she was, she would come to practice with a little tape recorder and just record the songs. And that's it. That's incredible. And so it was like Christmas morning. So on Ultraphonic, we're like, oh my gosh, Sid, I love that. I love what you did. I love the lyrics. I love your melody on that and every song, you know. And then Keith's like, oh, I love this. You know, we need to, you know, we need to work on this, whatever, and it just get him super excited. And and so it's just, it's so strange to write that way. I don't know if other bands do that. I've yeah. never heard of any other bands doing that. And um, and so that record, you know, you can tell it's more poppy. There's still some sure. elements of hard and noise, but, you know, our, our, ta- our, our influences at that time were more like the Pixies and um, Poppy or the Weezer was a huge mm-hmm. influence on that record. And, and we just wanted to kind of make a more accessible record um, with more pop elements to it. And so we were very intentional about our records. Yeah. We just didn't, I mean, we're just music, you know, we're, what we listen to obviously just rubs off on us. And so, yeah. um, but we were really happy with that record at the end. Um, that was bet. our biggest selling record. Yeah. By what far. Did you- what did, what did you guys think when, when you heard it? And I was like, what, I was going to ask you again, like, how did you guys feel about it? How did Tooth & Nail feel? Tooth & Nail was super happy with it. Brandon's like, you got to put a picture of yourselves on the cover. You have to. It sells more records. Um, and we're like, that's cool. So we had a photographer fly into Dayton. And um, he was from New York, I think. And so we just drove around Dayton taking pictures and so then Brandon's like, we got to put um, a picture of you on the cover. It's going to sell more records. And he goes, this record is more accessible to more yeah. people, I think. Um, and then we're like, so we were big Brainiac, if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, they're from da- yeah I just saw them last weekend. Oh, that's awesome. Um, they got back together for a few shows. Anyways, their bass player did, he was a graphic designer so we asked him to do the graphic design work and the cover and the layout and he just knocked it out of the park yeah. i mean it's so cool yeah it's great and um so he did that and and i just remember it just seemed like our fan base grew on that yeah. record by far and we had other like i remember being at a festival and plank guy came over with the guys from Newsboys because they were touring with them. And they're playing guys like, oh, these new the Newsboys want to meet you guys. They love your record. And I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> what? That's amazing. And so we met them and they're like, we love your record. And I'm like, this is bizarre. That's hysterical. Um, and so it's just like, wow, I guess more people are listening to us. And um, it was cool. So... What uh, what was the touring like? Like you said, obviously people started to come more, but was were the shows getting bigger? Who were you touring with? Like, what was that like? So on that record, so we toured with Starflyer on the first one. We toured, did a tour with Joy Electric. We did a tour with, I think that was Dakota. Okay, yeah, I saw company. you guys on that. I saw you on that tour. Yeah, and that tour ended abruptly. Um, <laughs> it never finished. Um, wow. 
yeah, the, it was just not drawing, you know, yeah. um, like they thought it would. And, um, and they just kind of ended the tour and, um, we toured a lot by ourselves actually. Yeah. And then we just, local bands would open up for us. Um, we did a tour with luxury. Yeah. Um, I think maybe on that album, I think, um, trying to think who else we toured with and you know there's these big pocket festivals like they did tooth and nail days yeah cornerstone and stuff and out in um oklahoma oh yeah bartlesville yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. i've been there yeah yeah (laughs) and so that was huge they drew a lot of people for those the um tooth and nail fest weekends and there were some others like that around yeah yeah um and so we got to play with, you know, got to see Driver 8 play because oh, they never it. toured much. Dude, Matt's so cool. Matt's so yeah. cool. Um, and we liked that record a lot. Great record. Um, and so it's just, yeah. It just seemed like we were just trying to tour as much as possible. Yeah. You know? Did you did you ever get to open for bigger bands like mainstream bands? I, I, maybe I, you mentioned Brainiac, and I think Sean we had opened. mentioned that you played with them. Yeah, we played with Brainiac. Um, who else? I think we were on a bill with Kelly Deal, 6,000. Oh, wow. She was doing her thing. Um, trying to think of who else. We never went on tour. We would play off one-off. Just one-off? Something. Yeah. Um, in Dayton or something, or in Cincinnati. We would, But we never... Uh, did any tours? Yeah, with, yeah, with anyone. Yeah. Do you, Do you feel like um, at that you know with you know with the whole tooth and nail thing? I know some bands it was a you know a blessing and a curse. Obviously, uh, how did you did that affect you guys at all? Or did you feel like um, you know it maybe hindered you from being able to play with tour on tours like that? Or do you think it was you know I, I guess how how did that affect you know your mindset when it comes to you know getting bigger or potentially getting bigger? Yeah, I don't think it hurt us. Um, I think it opened way more doors than shut doors for us yeah. by far, um, especially in the United States, um, just all over, right? Um, people getting our record and listening to it. I think in Dayton, when we played Dayton a lot and we're, we're friends with so many different bands, no one cared. Yeah, to be honest, and they would write articles in Dayton about us, and I don't even know if they really mentioned we were believers or not. Um, and like, I run into people all the time still in Dayton we, since I've moved back, and <laughs> you know, bands, cool bands from Dayton. I didn't even know they knew it we existed, and That's they're so like, cool. "Oh man, I'm such a fan of yours." I'm like, "Really? I didn't even know you knew we existed." You That's know? And, amazing. Um, no one really cared, you yeah. know, like if we were believers or not, they just cared about good music, about respect, yep. good music, you, um, treat people well, other bands, well, you're going to be treated yeah. well. And, and so we would go see bands all the time and date and play. And, um, so it was all good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That sounds like, uh, you know. I, it's cool to hear because I've, you know, I've talked to other people and, you know, I've heard other sides. I, I, I'm always been a proponent of 
tooth and nail, and I lo- loved him from day one. And it's like, you know, a lot of people feel you know a certain way, and it's like, man, what an amazing opportunity that a lot of you bands were able to do. Yeah, I mean, like what you're telling me is like, man, you would have probably still been playing in the basement in Dayton, which is not a shot to you guys. It's just, yeah, you know, they they opened that door, and it's like, man, you got an opportunity of a lifetime. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's like. It opened so much for us, and who knows what opportunities we have yeah. would have. I mean, you had band, a lot of bands at the time. Gotta buy voices are out of out of Dayton. Yeah, uh, the Breeders, um, Brainiac, another band called Enan, which came out of Brainiac. Um, Swearing up Motorist, which was a big touring band out of Dayton. I mean, so there was a potential, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so it was an awesome, I think it opened way more doors. Yeah. 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 So how long after ultrasonic did you guys start to work on from Dayton with love? Kind of, how was that? And then when did you start recording that and how did that go? Yeah. So, so what was strange about ultrasonic is Keith at the time him and I were button heads during that recording, you know, mm. um, and found out later what was going on, but he would, <laughs> I'm a feel player, you know, and if you say play a lead, I'm going to play a lead. And he would say, Oh, awesome. Do it again. I can never do it again. I would be mm. different. I got you. And, and so I'm not that great of a guitar player and he would get really frustrated and, and so after Ultraphonic wrapped up, we loved the record and loved the sound. He mixed it and everything. And um, and then we started writing for the new record. There, We never thought we would work with Keith again, right? And so we started looking for other producers. And, um, and we just kind of left the door open. And then I forget if Brandon or who reached out to Keith and he's like, I would do their record in a heartbeat again. And we're like, what? Really? So we're like, okay, well, do we want to do a record with him again? Right. And we all talked about it and, um, we said, let's do it. And, um, so then we come up to Keith and we, we did the record and it took us a month. Wow to do that record, which looking back is nuts to me. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't like to, he likes to work from like 11 to 11, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't like to get up early, which we didn't either. And he doesn't, he likes to not go past a certain time. And so, um, so that record, so we decided to work with him and, we barely had enough songs to finish the record. We just didn't have a lot of songs that we liked. And so Sid was working. She was still working on melodies and lyrics in the studio Wow, on that record. And um, it's a unique record, actually. Yeah, it it's very, it's almost like taking the first and the second and somehow putting them together yeah. in a way. And some of the sounds are more sonic and like the drums and it's a, it's a unique record for us. Um, and so 
I remember by the end, we were just like, we're done. We don't have any more because he's like, you guys, oh, our manager at the time's like, you have to have so many minutes to, to contractually to, to have a record. And so I'm like, well, let's do, let's, what about kids in America cover, right? Let's, yeah. let's, why don't we, and it was like, we had two days left in the studio. Everybody was saying, we're leaving, we're going to go home. And so I'm like, what if we just do a strip down? Let's do acoustic. Um, and so I think Sid and I are the only two that stayed. Wow. And then Keith's like, well, hey, I, I, I think I have an idea. And so he worked really late in the night after I, I recorded the acoustic and Sid did the vocals. He worked on it by himself, which he's like, I, I'm just going to work on it. And so the next day we wake up and he's like, this is what I got. And he had all the orchestra. Wow. Um, he had gone to a, a college in Chicago like months before we did this record and he sampled real life players. And so that's what he used to wow. do all that. And he created that, all of that um, on his own. And so it was, and we're like, wow, that was way better than we expected. Um, and, and the record came out and Tooth, I think was, and Juan did the cover again, you know, for us from Brainiac. And yeah. it was the reviews. So there was more print at that time, more yeah. print reviews, Seven yeah. Ball. And I think Alternative Press reviewed it and really liked wow. it, which I was shocked. Um, um, and I know there was other that that really liked the record. Some people didn't. And um, we toured heavily as we always did. I mean, yeah. we always toured a lot. And so um, I think at that time we were mainly just doing our own tours. We weren't opening up for anyone. And, sure. Um, so. Um, so, you know, obviously put three records out. Is that kind of the end of the relationship with Tooth & Nail? Is that kind of how that uh, materialized after that? Or uh, was it... <laughs> So we got a hair under our, you know what, and uh, mm -hmm. said, you know what, let's ask to leave wow. the label. And I remember the conversation very, I kind of handled the business side of stuff for the band and to a degree. And we had a manager um, and he, he was involved, but, and he was actually at the conversation. So at Cornerstone after that record came out after, from Dayton. Tim Eddings was his name, him and I. Oh, down. yeah. Yeah. I don't know him, but I know of him. He, he knows a lot of the same people I know. Yeah. We sat down with Brandon on the grass behind one of the tents, and I said, hey, we want to leave the label if you would let us go, because we had one more album. Yeah. It was a four-album deal, and, and he was kind of taken back, and um, I don't think he took it well, and in hindsight, I don't know, know what we were thinking, to be honest. Um, it's not like we had people hoarding us. and Yeah. Um, we just felt like we could kind of, you know, go on to some other label, possibly, and, and he ended up letting us go. 
And so, um, and then Nate ended up leaving the band and joined Johnny Q Public. Yeah, I actually was living in Missouri when he was in that band. Oh, did you? I wound up hanging out with him quite a bit. And I remember I went to the, uh, this bar. There was a bar that we'd always go to called the Burgundy Room. And he, I was like, is that Nate from Mor- uh, like Morello's floor? I'm like, and then we like started hanging out and then, you know, became friends after that. It was just like so random. Like, yeah. Um, so he, he left. Um, and he's like, you know, they're getting a major deal for front runner. What was that label? Um, there's a big label. Um, oh yeah. Roadrunner. Roadrunner. Yeah. 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 So he's like, they have, they got a record deal through them and I want to pursue this. I think it could really help me. And we're like, yeah, you know, go for it. Um, And so he left and then we, we, you know, knew some drummers. They never fit well at the time with the band. Um, And then Sean ended up saying i want to leave i I don't want to really do this anymore Um, and he never went on to do anything again musically after that and he decided to leave and and so sid and i somewhere in there we played up in new york a lot where jesse sprinkle lived yeah love jesse and he would host shows and we somehow and so we were talking to him all the time and he's like i'll I'll play with you guys and he played with everybody i mean and I'm like, oh, that would be awesome. And there's a band out of there that Joe, Joel Fota, uh, Seven Head Division. Mm-hmm. And Joel's like, I'll, I'll play with you guys. And so we're like, awesome. And then somehow um, Cornerstone, we weren't supposed to play. And we knew a guy at Cornerstone. He's like, hey, we had someone drop out. Do you guys want to play? So Jesse's like, yeah, let's do it. And so we ended up doing that gig. And Sean may have been in the band still at that point. I can't remember. Um, But, and so that's kind of how it morphed into Jesse being in the band and um, Joel Votan. They would stay at our house all the time in Cincinnati. And we we ended up playing Morellas and Seven had a lot of shows. They would open yeah. up for us then because the band was all there. Yeah, so it was just did, awesome. Did you guys all decide to write Tiny Lights of Heaven, or was that were those songs that you had already written, or how did that kind of come about? Yeah, so we started writing that um, after we left Tooth and Nail, and we did some demos um, with a friend of ours here in Cincinnati, just on his on Pro Tools, and just demoed it. And then I just started sending that out to labels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how Endearing Records got involved out of Canada. And we had a name recognition, actually, to a point like, oh, I've heard of you guys. You know, I, I know about you. Yeah. And so that's how Enduring got involved and said, well, I would, I would do a record with you guys. Um, and then Big Beef Records out of Dayton kind of came on board, too, and said, I, sure. I would, I'd be willing to pay for the recording. Oh, wow. Um, and so we recorded at Jesse's studio up in New York, and we would drive back and forth and track it and, and everything. And so that's how that came out. And so it came out in on Endearing in Canada, and they had a pretty good following. And then he actually got it distributed in Japan. 
Nirvana label in Japan. And so they did a whole different cover for Japan. Um, we added some bonus cuts, tracks uh, on the one in Japan. And um, it actually was a really good record for yeah. us publishing wise. Wow. For shows and movies. Um, and so it was our biggest record for publishing was that record. Interesting. And well, yeah, yeah. and you owned it all, right? You know, because you guys had Left Tooth and Nail, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome, though. You yeah. really, um, kind of looking back on all the records we've talked about, what's what's your favorite one? What, what What's the one that you feel like if you had to say this is Morales Forest to somebody who's never heard it? Like, what's the one that you would say is the one? Yeah, I mean, Tiny Lights of Heaven was a record I always, it's like the record I wanted to always make. It was very poppy, catchy. Um, but I would say, like, if you're talking, Morel is like the four original guys. <sighs> Jeez, that's tough. I would say Ultraphonic is probably my favorite. Um, but, like, Separate, the song on From Dayton is probably my favorite song we recorded, Separate. Um, but then I listen to Super Deluxe. And that's the most unique record for yeah. us. I mean, it's 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 hard um, to pick a record, and it's actually the band. You know, going back to the vinyl release. Yeah, people have like shown interest in the band again in ways that is just odd. You know. Um, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you about that. How did that all come about, and how did you feel about it? And I, I know specifically, I when I first hit up Sean a couple years ago, I was like, "You have got to put this out on vinyl." Like I'm, I kept yeah. blowing him up about it, and he was like, oh, "I don't know," you know, blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Bro, trust me." And so, yeah, just tell me kind of how that materialized. So, I didn't even know it was being done. Really? Um, yeah. So I was in living in Denver still, and. I think Sean texted me or something and said, hey, do you, or no, no. It was actually a friend of mine from Dayton, Andy Ingram, who's always been a big fan of ours and has helped MoFo out all the time, said, hey, can I do an interview for the vinyl release? And I said, what vinyl release? And he goes, Lost in Ohio's label is putting your record on vinyl. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you serious? And so he got me connected with Bill, the owner of, you yeah. know, and I started emailing him and I'm like, you're putting this out. And it was, I think it was still just two weeks left in this mm -hmm. Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got on board and I got one, you know, I got one of the records and, um, and him and I started emailing and, I'm like, why did you do this? <laughs> and like, what is, I just thought it was so kind of out of nowhere. And actually, since I've moved back, Bill and I have hung out. We went to the Brainiac show together and then we got dinner one night too. And he gave me the vinyl records when they came out. And so we had dinner and went and grabbed a beer and talked about music and super awesome guy and yeah. we just went to brainiac so we talked more about it and 
And it's now his label is pretty much a full fledged label. Now he has distro and it's a great label. Love it. Yeah. Everything they put out is fantastic. And he's starting to put out um, a, like new bands. He's going to start yeah. releasing vinyl for new bands. And, um, and I'm like, this is just the strangest thing that you did this. <laughs> but now there's this kind of like in Dayton, there's a, a record store I haven't been in yet. I'm going to go up and see a friend play there this month, actually, Andy's Ingram's band. Um, and he's like, yeah, that record store was sold like 40 copies of the vinyl. I'm oh like, my really? God. Really? Whoa. They sold that many? I'm just blown away that even anyone cares, you know, Dude. about it. And um, he's like, yeah. So I'm like, when I go to the room, I'm going to thank him for, you know, just selling it. And um, Tyler was in there from Brainiac, the drummer, and he bought a copy. And I got to talk to him a couple months ago at a show in Dayton. And I'd never, he was one of the few I hadn't met from Brainiac. And yeah. He's a pastor now and wow, super awesome guy. And so he's like, yeah, I used to listen to you guys. I'm like, what? You know, so it's just, it's so, it's, it's bringing up a lot of emotion I bet know, it is. Um, about that time. Cause I, I really wrote it all like a tough, it was a different life for yeah. me. And I'm sure Sean and Nate would say that. And, it's just weird that it's cool. It's really cool that people still even care about it. Yeah. You know? Does it feel validating? Does it feel like, man, we made a mark, you know? Yeah, it does. And it's just neat that people just care. I mean, Absolutely. It's just, it's just super cool. Yeah. And it, it turned out so good. It sounds so good. It I got both, both, I got both variants because I was like, man, this, this is too cool. And the whole layout, like large. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, style. yeah. He, I've never met him, but he's, uh, he's, uh, seems so cool. Yeah, it was cool for him to interview us, and um, oh, and Bill did just. I mean, yeah. he did justice for the whole thing. Absolutely. It's just, yeah. So maybe there's possible. I don't know if in the future some vinyl releases of other records. Yeah. Who knows, but. We'll see what. So what? We're going to backtrack just a little bit. Um, what kind of led to the demise, or when did you get to a point where you guys were like, "Let's hang it up. Let's let's uh, you know, it's time. It's time to put it down." Yeah. So Sid and I were still doing shows. We were doing a lot of acoustic shows, believe it or not, um, locally and and. What's kind of cool about acoustic wise is you really can hear Sid well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, her vocals just really came out well. And so, but we were still doing some shows. And I remember going down to Georgia and, and that the crowds were just diminishing, you mm. know, and I felt almost bad for the promoters. And, and um, I'm like, Sid, you know, we were driving home to Dayton and I'm like Sid I think this is the end I mean I remember this conversation vividly and I'm like I think this is the end and she goes yeah I agree with you and and that was it um I don't know I I can't say if I talked to Sid even 
twice after that. Mm. Um, when we were on tour and things, you know, even back, you know, with the first three records, we we rarely saw each other when we were home mm. from tours just because we were spent so much time together. So it wasn't unusual not to talk, um, but we just never really talked again. Yeah. Um, and so I still have not talked to Sid in probably 20 years. I was going to ask you the million dollar question. Where Where is Sid? So this is funny. You'll get a kick out of this. So just this last, the same day Bill and I went to Brainiac, I was in Dayton and Sid, um, and I still think she owns the home or her family owned the home at the time, but I think she owns it now. I actually left a note at her house. Um, and I'm not sure if she's living there. I think she still owns it. Um, and I just rolled up a note and stuck it in her front door and said, Hey, I'd love to talk to you. Call me. Um, will I ever get a call? I don't think so. Sid was really private. Yeah. And, um, nicest person you'll ever meet and and you know Morella's people wanted to meet her yeah. you know they wanted to talk to her and meet her and and um she was just a, such a huge part of the band oh. um like the first record she's got a shape it was so cool it really was <laughs> It was jarring, like, and in a, in a beautiful way, you know, it was like so artistic and so uh, visceral, but it was just like, man, it was, yeah, it was badass is the only way I can describe it. Like, and that was like the photographer, you know, um, who went on to do major stuff. I mean, he did like Obama and whoa. Norman, Norman Jean Roy. Um, and we show up, you know, in Nashville in a studio to do pictures. And he's like, I think we should shave your head. And Sid's like, okay. <laughs> That's incredible. Blonde hair. Wow. And there was a stylist there. And she's like, whoa. And then they shave her hair and head right there. Wow. And it was like... And, you know, we were big Sinead fans, Sinead O'Connor. And we're like, Sid, you look like Sinead, yeah. you know? It's true. <laughs> but it's funny because that, like, kind of was the face of the band, really. It was like oh, the, sure. you know, it was like, that's really iconic and crazy how that came to. Yeah. So that was a funny story. And she would dress. I mean, there's so many crazy pictures from that. You know, there's us and, and Bunny you know, bunny things, no shirts on running yep. to a cemetery, you know, sit in a wedding dress. I mean, what? You know, yeah. no, those weren't used because obviously people are going to probably be offended maybe. Um, <laughs> but those pictures of her in a nurse outfit. <laughs> <laughs> With the wig. <laughs> it's so good, though. It's, it's iconic, really. It is. You know? And it's like, what? You know, like, yeah, so funny. Yeah, Sid, Sid was in her own during that photo shoot. She was eating it up. I bet. I bet. Very humble person, too. She's yeah. very humble. I'm sure a lot of people would love to hear from her at some point. Like, I, I, oh know, I know, you know, I'm not on social media a ton, but I know that, like, she's revered and, like, 
you know, she's mysterious. And it's like this, you know, where is Sid? You know, that's kind of just the common theme, you know? And so I'm, I'm sure people would love to hear from her at some point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know you mentioned some ex- feeling some excitement from the re-release. What's the future look like? What is there any talks? Is there anything that might, you know, that you can share, obviously, but like what, what, what's the future? Are you going to just stick with doing interested in putting a new record? Are you interested in playing shows? Or are you just wanting to be a family man? Jeez. Um, I don't know. You know, Bill was talking about us doing possible, possibly some shows. Um, uh, Nate and Sean and I have been talking. I, I don't think, I mean, I would be shocked if we did a new record. Um, mm. But I, I think a big part is on Sid, too. Sure. sure. Um, and I don't even know, knowing Sid, she'd be like, uh, why, you know, why would we do this? Um, she was so intentional, you know, about everything she did. Um, so I, I don't. I've not played those songs in so long. Mm-hmm. It would be, it, we'd have to practice a lot and it would sure. have to be really good for us yeah. to play live because you just don't want to stink coming out, you know? <laughs> Especially if people would come and see you. And so yeah. um, I don't know, you know, what the future holds. I, I would like to talk to Sid, number one, yeah. um, totally. just to see how she's doing. Um, but who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, what an amazing conversation. I'm so stoked right now. Like, I don't, I mean, like, this is like a dream come true, really. Like, so I really appreciate it. No, I mean that wholeheartedly. Like I'm geeking out all week. I'm like, this is insane. And I'm so stoked to meet you. And, and, you know, I've talked to Sean all week too. And it's just like, man, you guys are so cool. And I, you know, you guys are, I revere you guys in my, in my mind and my heart from the past. It's just a, you know, it's a beautiful story of a musical band that I love, you know, and, and I, you know, I always have you guys in, you know, the highest esteem. So, man, I really appreciate you coming on, on the Thank podcast. You. Yeah. Thank man. you for having, you know, wanting us to come on. It's just an honor. And I'm, we're like so grateful. Dude. Cause it's an honor. It's I'm awesome. Grateful. I, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, bro, if we ever get a chance, hopefully we get to, to meet up sometime. I would love to oh, have a beer I with you. That. And, and uh, yeah, man. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I really, really, again, appreciate it and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. Thanks. you listener for tuning in what an awesome awesome episode i was on a super high after that one so that was really cool great opportunity to talk to somebody um i've loved uh, musically for the last 20 plus years so thank you to sean johnson for all his time and i had a blast talking so hopefully can do it again i'd also like to thank sean mccorkle from morellis force as well i if it weren't for him, this wouldn't have happened. I was on him, and he deferred me to Sean Johnson. So thank you, Sean McCorkle. And Nate McCorkle, I haven't talked to you in forever. Hope you're doing well. 
what an awesome episode. Thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned. Got some incredible guests on the horizon. All right, guys. See ya.